Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. That's what I'm here for. That's, that's, I'd love to say that's what you're here for, but I don't know. There is a treasured passage in Isaiah. We read one in its entirety last week, Isaiah 53. But there's one other passage in Isaiah that almost every Christian knows. They've heard at least a lot. And that's out of Isaiah chapter 9, and especially verse 6. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, and so that means that the chapter starts in the middle of a conversation, but nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. I love the word gloom. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I'll stop there for just a moment. When our, our reader read for us a while ago, she had to read some names like Hamath and the Isles of the Mediterranean. And here mentioning Naphtali and the way of the sea, it is an absolute broadside against the people that were ruling the ancient world, the sea people. We call them Phoenicians, Philistines, and the like. But the more common name among archaeologists are the sea people. And those were the people being addressed here. That they were going to find out they weren't in charge of the universe. So, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. So many scriptural allusions coming to mind here. The yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? Because unto us, a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Everybody who heard those words would get chills. Tears come to their eyes. The Redeemer is coming. And these various names, they're very, very important names. And they're names that you're going to need at some time in your life. Cammie and I had not been married all that long when I began to realize that women need different kinds of men at different times. 
And there would be times I would walk into the room and see on her face a thoughtful and perhaps troubled or occupied expression. And I didn't know which one she wanted because men, hear me here, when they share, they're not always looking for you to give a solution. Sometimes they're given, they just want you to hear them and to acknowledge that you have heard them and you understand where they are cosmically, mentally, spiritually. But there were other times I couldn't read it and I would look at her and I would say, now I'm about to leave the room and I'll come back in, but I need to know, do you need Alan Alda, who at the time was a very touchy-feely guy, may still be, or do you need John Wayne? Because I, I don't know, but you can alert me which one you want and that's who, that's who I'll be. Well, there are times where I look at God and I say, what I need you to right now be is not mighty God. I don't need you to stomp out stuff. I don't, I, what I need is for you to be my counselor. What I need is for you to bring peace to me because my heart is at war. And you can look at all of these. What I need is that everlasting father to know that no matter what's going on on this planet, you're still going to be in charge when it's my turn to get there. All of these are names that we are to use in our prayers and use in our minds to help us call on the God we need. For he is one God, but he's a big God. And he has all of these things covered. So in the cultures of early Christianity, they would create creeds and they would create songs that were, and creed just means belief, credo from the Latin word, I believe. And they would make songs to help us sing our creed, to help us remember our creed. One of our most popular carols takes that idea and builds its verses around a name or a character trait of God as seen in Jesus, as seen in Advent. And it is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. I remember as a boy having some issues with the word Emmanuel, because it seemed to me that Mary and Joseph had disobeyed God, because they say, you will have a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, and they called him Jesus, and I didn't, and I didn't quite understand that Emmanuel is a title of, and a description of who he is and what he does. Well, I had a lot of years learning, kind of like you, Doug, that I had misheard misapplied. And, um, and, and like you, I will not share some of those because unlike you, my mother is actually in the room. Um, and so I'm just not going to say, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep to my story that one of my sisters did it. The carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is actually about 1200 years old, but there's no record of who wrote it, but that's not surprising because it came out of a monastery. And the brothers that lived there, usually brothers, sometimes friars, who lived there, would eschew anything that might reek of narcissism or self-promotion. That's why they never used last names. Everything was brother. Everything was kept for all glory goes to God. So they did not sign their work. And it's a particular kind of a song. You can hear some echoes of it in that it's in a minor key. A lot of carols are. And then it has that little haunting undertone to it. But I want you to think of it as these verses, these lines are sung in a large 
room, the stone room. By the way, those stone rooms are cold. Those stone rooms are drafty. They don't have glass in most of the windows. And as the candlelight is all that you have, the groups of men singing lines back and forth to each other, not in four-part harmony and not with a melody such as we do, but rather an antiphonal chants, um, Gregorian chants, they would later be called. And if you just sit with this carol and imagine that, it already begins to change in your mind. They had a name for this kind of song, and it just meant a song that you would start singing seven days before Christmas. And some of you right now are feeling very self-righteous because you say, see, you can't sing them before Thanksgiving. You're wrong. And, and I'm sorry. I, I don't have a Bible verse. Um, I just, I'll put it to you this way. I'm more excited about the baby Jesus than I am Turkey. But that said, you draw your own lines. And I understand why you might want to save it. But this hauntingly beautiful song was going for some time before an Englishman named John Mason Neal translated it out of Latin and into English in 1851. And his version was Draw Nigh, Draw Nigh, Emmanuel. Later, it would be published in, uh, in a book of, of Christmas songs about 1910. So here's a song that took about 680 years to make it into publication. But once it, it did, it took off. So let's look at the structure. How it's theology. The first verse. So come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here. Until the Son of God appears. So we start with the word. The name. Emmanuel. God with us. And that's what was prophesied. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Wow. Because that word means God with us. And that's, that's what was quoted in Matthew chapter 1, 23 by the angel. And that's what convinced Joseph that quotation and that visitation by the angel, not to put Mary away as an adulteress, even privately, but rather to accept her as his wife and the mother of a child placed in her womb by the Holy Spirit of God. God is with us. And that's actually a very stunning belief. That's a very stunning belief that there is a God who loves us and cares for us. I've been told a lot in my life, and, and I'm not inviting email arguments here, that those who wrote the Constitution and the Founding Fathers of the United States were very, very devout religious men. And to some degree they were, but the majority of them were deist. They believed that there was a God, but rather like a clockmaker, he had wound up the universe and then set it into motion. And Thomas Jefferson, for example, did not believe in the deity of Jesus, or that Jesus did any miracles. And he actually did a version of the Bible where he left all that out. And you can still buy the Jeffersonian Bible, but I'm not sure why. Still, it is there. Christians don't believe that God just wound up the universe and set it out there. There is a form of God belief that's called deism, that believes that there is a God, 
And he made things, but he's not interested in any actual contact with us. That's what most myths come down to being, whether they're of Saturn or Apollo or Zeus or any of the Norse gods, but not in Christianity. The difference between our God and those found in literature and myths, those statues preserved in museums or in tales to scare the children at night, is stunning. Our God loves us and became one of us so that one day we could become like him. Our God became one of us so that one day we could become like him. And I don't mean by that that you're going to become God, but you're going to be like him. Eternal life with him. Jesus, as we brought up last week, walking among us, not ruling over us, but walking among us as our brother. It is an astounding doctrine and it is true. I also want just to bring up a ransom captive Israel. To me, one of the, the greatest evils that's ever been perpetrated upon the earth, and there are many from which to choose, is slavery. And while this nation fought a great war to end slavery, we all know that there were repercussions from uh, the many years slavery was still there. You may be surprised to know that more human beings are enslaved on the planet today than have ever been enslaved throughout history. They, they are being tracked. It's, it's known. And yet governments seem to have no interest in invading a nation to free slaves. I've never quite understood that. But they, they will go for material or power reasons, but not to release the slaves. And those slaves are actually in this country as well. Uh, economic, industrial slavery brought in to work for nothing, never allowed to escape their prisons. Others brought in for sex work, never allowed out. For Israel, always Israel trapped, like it is today, surrounded by enemies. To hear God will come with us and he will buy you out of your captivity. Think of that verse. And how it would hallow, how it, how it would cheer your heart. The next verse is almost never sung. It's not included in most versions of the song today. O come, O come, O Lord of might, to whom thy tribes from Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and all. I just want to grab that, that, that phrase and it's not, not in the one, you know, it's, well, there it is right there. But it's not in the one most people sing. The Lord of might. As Doug said, we often see pictures and depictions of Jesus as a man holding a lamb. Because he is the good shepherd. And he does rescue the helpless. And he does present himself as a slaughtered lamb in Revelation 5. Sometimes, however, we need a Lord of might. Sometimes we need a Lord who's going to kick the door in. Instead of standing out there and saying, now listen, you really need to release the hostage. Come on, be nice. Sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you need a God who's going to come through the windows, break down the doors, throw a couple spiritual flashbangs in like he did in, um, in Sodom and just come rescue a people. And there are times I call upon the Lord of might. And there are times he comes and there are times he does not. Because you see, here's the thing. I call upon the Lord of might to come strike the people I want struck. 
And sometimes they might be praying to strike me. And his mercy toward them, while it might frustrate me, is the same mercy that saves me. Do you remember the New Testament tells us the patience of God is sometimes read as slackness. But it is his patience that saves us. So the Lord of might, I take comfort knowing that I serve a God who's a mighty God, awesome in power, a Lord of might who gave us law and gave us his presence, remember, on the Mount Sinai, to free us from the chains of ignorance and sin. Shepherds, even, sometimes have to become warriors. Sometimes shepherds have to defend the flock. It didn't make any real headlines, but it did show up on social media that there was a sheepdog in Georgia over the last few weeks. Looks to me to be a white lab, but I don't know that for sure. And you think of Labradors as being very gentle, and they'd be, they'd be, I guess, very good with sheep. I think of Border Collies because, you know, that's what you think of. But coyotes came after this dog's herd, and it killed eight of them. And had very little injury itself. The next day the sheep were all there. And the bodies of the coyotes were there. And a shepherd was just doing his business there. Being a shepherd. Shepherds look meek. But they are ready to defend the flock. Remember David? Young David had been known. As caring for the sheep. But also as defeating the animals that came after it. And God wants us to remember, he's our shepherd, but he doesn't carry the staff for nothing. He carries it for a reason. The third verse is translated different in every major source I have found of this carol. The version of her song most often goes, O come, thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Well, I... I love that, O Rod of Jesse. That's a pretty important name because it's a name of hope. That's what was read to you by our sister today. And in Isaiah 11, 1 through 12, it is that hope, the Rod of Jesse, I will save you. You will have victory over the grave. We, we often talk about Christ dying on the cross for our sins, as we should, and his resurrection, as we should. But we may not notice something. I, I, I do wonder. I, I do wonder. In Christianity, you do not want a version of Christianity without the cross. I've seen some of those versions in my life. They have no power. But if you notice that the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the cross. It talks enough to show us it's very important. It talks much more about resurrection and victory over death. If you do a passage count or a word count, it's not even close. We think of Jesus dying for our sins, and he did. But the point of the cross and the resurrection is Christus Rex, King Christ over death. Hope. You ever looked in the mirror and been surprised? Gone. Oh. I'm old. It's amazing. It really is. I get, I get a, a, a little offended at my iPhone. 
because iPhones recognize your face and turn on. And I've gone in the morning and looked and seen the face that my iPhone recognized. And I'm thinking, I look very subtle, very old. Only a few of you will get this. Like that crazy professor on the Smothers Brothers show from Edwin Corey. Was that his name? Professor Corey or something? But his hair is just like this. My face is all wrinkled up from sleep. And the phone's going, that's him. So third from the left, officer. I recognize him and that lineup. But I have hope that I will live forever. I have hope that I will see all of you, regardless of when we cross that river. Hope. It'd be good to remember that in Isaiah 11, he said, God will always have his people on earth. He will always keep for himself the remnant. And it's here that we gain victory over the grave. Jesus killed death. We just need to be on his team. We don't have to kill it. I had somebody this week talking to me about neuroscience. I gave a speech for a convention. Uh, and they were very much into longevity. And that if we do this, we do this. We might be able to live many, many more years. And I'm inside, I, you know, I'm nodding. You know, inside I'm going, don't want to. Don't want to. I don't want to live forever down here. I want, to, I want to go where it's better. Where I don't have to do the ritual. Any of you do the ritual? Before I go to bed at night, I've got to open up a few pill bottles. I have good friends, and I didn't ask their permission, so I won't say their name. But they got married late in life for the first time. They'd never found, and they're both amazing people. And they both married each other rather late in life. They were in their late 40s, I believe. Uh, and it's late in life for the first time. And he actually posted after they came back from the honeymoon. You know you've waited late to, to marry when both of you, the bedtime ritual for the, honey, the newlyweds includes laying out the prescription drugs on both side tables. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, the fourth verse. We're not going to live forever because something powerful is coming. Oh, come thou day spring. Come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The word dayspring is a very, very important one. It is, they did not know physics back in the day, obviously, and we don't know everything we think we know. But the idea was that God had wound the universe and that it would tick like a clock it was predictable. Then many of you know that we for many years then decided on chaos theory. Right now that theory is a theory in chaos because they have found that even chaos has patterns which would seem to indicate it's not chaotic. But that God has designed things and, and things run in a certain manner. In Revelation, um, I went to the wrong place here. Revelation 22 verse 16 he is called the day spring. 22.16 I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Isaiah 11. And the bright morning star. The day spring star is what that was called. The star that shows you that dawn is coming. As I believe it was in Zechariah. He tells them that there will be light in the evening. Our hope will spring forth. In John chapter 1, 
you've got to read John chapter 1 to understand uh, Isaiah 11, but also, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Because John chapter 1 sets up the entire life of Christ as light versus darkness. The light is coming to the world, but the world doesn't understand the light. But the light will defeat the darkness. And that's what this verse is all about. And Paul sums all of this up uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. By the way, uh, she's put up the, and thank you so much for, for Kirsten's hard work every single Sunday. She's put up the um, citations here, but they will also be on the notes because she puts those into the uh, description section. So you can always have those. That's what our brothers uh, are studying in the Louisiana State Penitentiary and elsewhere. They study the notes. They cannot watch the feed. So that's one of the reasons why, by the way, uh, for all of you out there, I take more extensive notes than I have before. Because as Dave will tell you, Dave is our sound and tech guy here and exec minister. Um, he's known me preach for a very long time. I am very famous for not getting to the notes. And at Rochester, where we worked for about 10 years, every now and then from the audience, somebody would say, get to the notes, because I'd, I'd gone somewhere else. But I try to stick to the notes for them, because I know they're, they're going to be doing this. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What a beautiful verse that is. It's, it's really poetic. I don't think Paul gets credit for some of the poetic way he phrases things. So how fitting is it that Advent, the coming of the light upon earth, occurred on a silent night. In the middle of a dark night. Light comes. We usually don't find the next verse um, written in any version that you're going to find. And I think due to its archaic rhyme, back then when this was written, high and he had the same pronunciation. Uh, you would say how he is it instead of how high is it. Uh, you would have said sword instead of sword. English has changed dramatically over the years. So it goes, O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. So it doesn't rhyme. We throw it out. But this comes from Isaiah 22. It is echoed in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. It is the key of David that releases you from captivity. I heard a, a man talking to a youth rally once, and he probably scared every parent there. I think that was a point, actually. He had come from a wild life, and that was part of his presentation, how insanely wild his life had been before he found Jesus. And then he said, some of you have heard that being a Christian isn't any fun, but I got to tell you something. I still do all the drugs I want. I still drink all I want to, and I still commit all the adultery I want to. You can only see people's backs doing this. But other people could see it coming. He leaned in closer to the mic and he said, but since I became a Christian, I don't want to. And that's that release from the captivity of desires that destroy you. It's a great thing. Then two more verses. 
O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh. Yes, nigh was pronounced knee back then. To us, and, and if you're wondering, well, how do they not, they used to pronounce this, kani. Well, it's a, it's a, if you ever wonder, just read Bill Bryson's books, Made in America and Mother Tongue. They're, they're fun. Um, and where, we, where else are you going to get that on Sunday? Come on. That's an added benefit of being here. At our safe harbor, we have a firm and consistent answer to any confusion, to any wrestling with Scripture, to any worry about the world, and that is go to Jesus. If you're concerned about Numbers 31, or you're concerned about a lament psalm, and you, you just cannot rationalize or justify what you're reading, God gets that. He says, go see Jesus. He says, here's my beloved son. Hear ye him. So come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and near, far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. Because remember in the Bible, wisdom is female. Well, he's the wise one. He is, Isaiah 9, 6, the counselor. Let him put in order all the things in your life. Start with the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's all that really is. Is him sitting down and helping you put your life in the right order. Here's where we start. Very much like Vince Lombardi. Since I'm using old, old ideas now. When he came to become coach of the Packers. The Packers were the joke of the NFL. And so day one he walked in and raised up a football. And he goes, gentlemen. This is a football. And he started from there. People, raise up Christ. Look at Jesus. Start from there. Let him order your life. Because he is God with us, we don't use him as a fire extinguisher, only grabbing him in times of trouble. We don't use him like a, like a, a relative. Go visit him at special days. No. He lives with us. He is the comforter, the companion, the one with whom we walk and to whom we listen. And then the last verse, O come thou desire of nations, bind all people in one heart and mind. Doesn't that resonate with you? That resonates with me, just the peace there. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Where Jesus is preached. Slaves are freed. Women are valued. Weapons laid down. Goods are shared. Not immediately and not as fast or as well as we would like. But it absolutely happens. And you can absolutely see on a map. Where Jesus has gone. And the effects there. And you can see where he has not. Our part is to make his part as easy as possible. Raising my son, I used to uh, tell him very frequently, probably from the time he was two or three years old, whenever I would leave, because I've always traveled, that's, um, Miss Cammie is very comfortable with that, she knows that's the way that works. I would turn to my son, again, two or three years old, and the rest of the time he spent with us, and I would say, it is your job to make her job as easy as possible. That's your task. And I would check when I would call back. And Cammie would talk to me about as soon as you left, 
He would ask, what can I do for you? He makes sure the doors are locked at night. You know, this little guy walking around. And he grew up to be a man who, who honors women and protects the weak. And I'm proud of him. He's a hero of mine. Because one of his jobs is to make his family's life as easy as possible. His wife's passage as easy as possible. Why don't we try to make God's work on earth as easy as possible for him by showing up, volunteering, and doing it with him? God is with us. Might as well use him. You might as well use him. That's what it's there for. That's what he's there for. So, I think we need to sing the song. And we'll see if I can. <clears throat>